Hello, this is the Performance Club Roundtable, our far more topical and casual podcast, certainly a lot more than the main show. It still deals with cycling performance, it's just a little chattier and it's a little more like us discussing and thinking out loud about cycling performance topics. The show is co-hosted by me, Cyrus Monk, a professional cyclist and cycling coach. Me, Dr. Jason Boynton, a sports scientist and cycling coach. And then there's me, Damien Roos, a professional cycling coach. Yep. So, Jason, you brought up something with us during this week that you wanted to discuss on the podcast. So what's been on your mind? All right. Well, so this has been on my mind for a while. And... um, and finally get a chance to sit down and talk with you guys about it. But uh, it's a few anecdotes that have kind of brought this to my mind. And also we have had our previous episode around skepticism towards certain cycling performance topics. So we have two kind of stakeholders in this thought here with well, we have the athletes and the coaches and the performance staff. We can all put them, group them together. And they're, what they want for an outcome is they want the athlete to improve their cycling performance. Um, and the other stakeholder in this uh, are companies and individuals who develop products in the realm of cycling performance. Um and their incentives can be slightly different. Like they can be the same, like they're going to market to you that they want to improve your cycling performance. Um, and they certainly could improve your cycling performance. Just not to say that, but they are, as soon as you have a product and you're selling it, you're, and you've become a business, you've also now incentivized by money. Now, I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but what I'm kind of exploring here is the conflict of interest that can go in and the, how that can be kind of problematic and, but just kind of some approaches so that maybe we can not have some of the instances that and anecdotes that I've kind of noticed recently. Um, So some of the examples that I've come across is obviously we were talking about the lack to go and since then we've seen like riders are using that product and it's questionable um, as our episode kind of shows. Um, uh, then there was a paper that came out with a core body temp that was published that was questioning the validity of that device. Now I'll say that I have been um, on their podcast. Uh, so complete transparency there. I have one of their devices was sent to me uh, at no cost. And uh, I think Damien, you've worked with them and you use the device with your athletes. Um, And so the staff, well-intended, nice people to work with. Um, And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate for them and that relationship that this study has come out and has questioned the validity of their device. Um, and I think they, we actually asked if they wanted to come on the show and, you know, have a conversation with the, the authors of that paper, but they were more inclined to kind of come out with their own response. Now, I've never got around to seeing that response, but um, in terms of a good kind of 
hashing of that paper. That paper is up for free, uh, and we'll link it in the description. But uh, Stephen Chung, uh, an environmental physiologist, cycling performance guy um, out of Canada, pretty prolific guy. Um, he came out with a video kind of critical of the device and saying it was, um, you know, lacked precision and lacked accuracy and kind of the worst way you could where it was overestimating during exercise and underestimating when uh, temperatures were critical and would affect safety and performance. So not, not great. Um, but yet, you know, I still see athletes that are getting the devices and promoting it. So, um, I don't really have a hard stance on it. Um, other than, I, yeah, we'll just put a pin in that and then I'll bring up the other anecdote, my last anecdote, and, uh, I guess kind of go from that. But my, my other anecdote was, um, with WKO plus, and I think I've talked with this with other guests, but they're, they have what is called their optimized intervals. And I mean, like I said, my research was in high intensity interval training. And from what I can tell with their approach, it's not scientifically valid at, at all. And I don't think I would have a problem if they were, had named it, um, you know, the, some kind of approach or something like that um, to it. But optimization is they do not have the evidence to call it optimization. They don't have the, they're not doing the proper analysis to show that it's optimized or that it, and they're not even measuring their, their, their claims around it, increasing VO2 max. They're not even measuring VO2 max accurately enough, in my opinion, to actually have, um, to be able to measure the change in it um, that they say the optimized intervals would have. And it fr it's frustrating me to me because it just misleads coaches and athletes and they're, that they're sold on this as it will uh, for sure, it's for sure optimizing their intervals, which I don't think is true. You would need so much research to be able to validate that claim. Um, and so, but at the same time, you have some products that are questionable in their validity and how much they can really offer uh, in terms of performance with, with athletes. Um, but at the same time, we need performance products to help improve athlete performance for sure. But also like these two entities, the, the, the cycling uh, performance staff, the coaches, the athletes, and the, the companies that provide these products, we need to have some kind of, there's a necessary synergy for a lack of better word there. So yeah, cause we need the products and these products are sold to, um, amateurs and lay persons and that takes money. And then those companies funnel money into elite athletes and elite teams. So yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Um, and I just wanted to get, hopefully I laid that out for you guys and just to kind of get your thoughts on how do we square that circle of like, 
obviously the other thing I'll add to the companies is that, you know, these people are developing these things with the best intentions. A lot of times I don't want to say like they are, um, that they are knowingly developing or selling things that are flawed. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We're going to apply Hanlon's razor as, as it were. So we'll give them the benefit of the doubt there, but then there's, you know, you think about maybe you're developing, developing an app or something like core body temp, or if you went through and developed these optimized intervals, that's a lot of time sunk in, in money. And, and so if the outcome isn't at least recouping your costs, man, that's, that's, that's going to be harsh. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do have, I do have sympathy for companies that have put a lot of time into developing something and maybe on the other side, it didn't turn out the way they wanted, but, um, yeah, it, it comes, then, then you have the financial incentives, like you, you have to make your money back. Um, and maybe something that isn't, is, I, isn't as good a product as it is being marketed. Yeah. So thoughts on that guys. Um, yeah, I, it's a, it's a tough one because obviously we're, as, as much as it might not seem like it, we're always looking for on this podcast and I'm sure in our coaching for basically cheats to, to get better without having to do any work. Uh, cycling is a lot of work to, to get good at it in a lot of pain in the training or that kind of stuff. If you can find cheats, obviously this is completely legal, but ways yeah. it, it's not, not a good look for cycling to, to say it like that, but improvements, improvements. in the cost benefit relationship. Right. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Low, low cost, both, both financially and, and time. And mm -hmm. yeah, if you can get those big percentage gains for, for low financial and low time input, then that's what we're looking for. But with all of these kind of aids, firstly, the, the first thing I would say when, when I have peers or athletes I'm coaching ask me about these things is, these are often the, the one percenters, which should definitely be prioritized well after the 10 percenters, like in the, the 10 or 20 percenters, which is like good sleep, good nutrition, training properly, lifestyle, this kind of stuff. So often there's, there's people that can get so focused on these little things thinking, oh, I need this, this is going to make all the difference. Often these are the things with the smallest difference. But um, And then after this, obviously there's still – there's still the thing of, oh, if this makes two, three, four percent difference, I still want it. And that's that that wins you races, that amount of difference. So then I group these these kind of things into three different categories. And I was trying to think of an example in my head for each category. But the the categories would be don't buy it at all. Uh, it's damaging or or just simply not good. And then um, yeah, avoid it at all costs. The next one is if it's free or cheap, go for it. It might work. It might not. Um, it's not going to do you any harm. And then the next one is definitely go for it. If you can afford it, this is something that's going to be definitely beneficial. So in that, in that last category might be something like um, heat training, for example, or going to altitude. Like not not everyone can afford to, to do some, some heat stuff or some altitude, but it's something that has been shown to be beneficial if you can afford it if it fits in go for it and then something in the middle 
might be things like uh, beetroot and beta alanine and those things. Obviously, people are going to be yelling at me saying, no, this stuff definitely works. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been shown to work in, in some populations, shown not as effective in others, costs, costs a bit of money. So that kind of stuff, if it's cheap or you get given it or it's easy to access, it's not going to break your bank, then go for it. And then at the bottom, I've got stuff like um, like Lactigo, which we've talked about. Like um, another example is like capsaicin, the warm-up cream that mm-hmm. people rub on. For some reason, they think that the hot sensation is warming up your muscles and it's good. Um, just quickly, that, big one that for kind of stuff is really bad. Yeah. It's taking the blood away from your muscles to your skin. Yeah, it's taking taking the blood away from your muscles to your skin. You don't need blood at your skin when you're trying to ride hard. It's just making you feel hot. But that those kind of things I'm grouping in that category. So, and I I don't have a list list made up of all of these things, but I think the issue for consumers is there's no list that you can go out there and and trust. Uh, and ideally, we uh, like podcasts like ours, websites like ours that are actually consulting scientists, looking at the research, this kind of stuff, getting some peer-reviewed stuff in there. Uh, they can they can trust that kind of information and then formulate their own lists based off that. But it's really difficult because the for us, we're not pumping ads in your face saying this product is bullshit. But the ads that are getting pumped in your face every time you open social media are from those companies that may be bullshit, whether they acknowledge it or not or know it themselves. Um, and that's the content that you're seeing. So it's a really difficult one because the money is in the product, not debunking the product. There's no money in saying this is shit. Um, and I don't think there ever will be anywhere near the same amount of money. Yeah, you, you might get something like what we're trying to build where you get a membership base and there's plenty of other people doing similar things. For like the, the amount that a sports scientist makes on a study like the one you mentioned, Jason, from Stephen Chunk saying, this thing isn't as effective as I thought is nowhere near as much as a business makes. Oh, out there's of no money in that. Pumping something right? out anyway there's, without doing the due diligence. Yeah, there's there's yeah. no money in that. Yeah. There's so, there's so much money in, in that kind of product. So, so yeah, uh, it's, um, it is a really tricky one and I don't really know if I, if there is any way to, to solve it. Uh, uh, I think, what doing what we're doing i feel like we're we're trying to make a difference whether it is getting to enough years is a different story but uh that's that's what i'm trying to achieve in a lot of the stuff that we do is when i see that these products which are finding the the eyes and ears of consumers and haven't been validated at all to let people know that hang on a sec just be cautionate cautionate here and yeah and be careful what you're spending your money or your time on with any intervention uh, when it, it may not have any gain or may do the opposite. Yeah. And some of these things are, it's the problem is not necessarily that the product is completely worthless, right? Cause that'd be easy to figure out, but maybe the product is oversold. Um, yeah. I recently came yeah. across a coach that was stating that, um, you know, a VO2 max test was the best way to determine, you know, training zones. And I kind of called him out on it a little bit. And uh, he's like, oh, but I really meant metabolic tests because 
because you know vo2 max test lay people don't know what metabolic testing is yada 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 and i was like well it's still not true you're still overselling it either you don't understand what's going on or you are or you're like willfully overselling this and because that claim is debatable and but I understand, like, if you have a metabolic cart and you've bought it for your brick and mortar coaching business, then it, it has to make up the money that you spent on it. And so, I don't know, I look at it yeah. like you don't have to be dishonest in the marketing around that, I think, I, I would hope. Um, but yeah, it's it, so again, like all the products that, especially with the WKL Plus, it's you could definitely have that um, analysis and that approach be usable uh, and be effective. But there's no need, in my opinion, to kind of what I would consider mis be misleading and label it optimized, if that means uh, sense to you guys. So, yeah. But is part of this conversation, yeah. like, where do we fit in this and how are we thinking about it for our own content? Is that is that kind of where part of this is going? Hmm. I mean, we could talk about that, but more more or less, it's about kind of just having a conversation about the reality of it um, in terms of like incentives, realizing the roles of everybody and intentions, right? Um, you would hope that, none of the, that people are never intentionally being misleading in order to make a buck off of you. Just going to say, when I think about traditional media, you know, there's the two sides of it. There's the original kind of um, journalistic integrity where editorial does not talk to advertising. So then they never talk between the two. But then there's the other side of this and there's this branded content where traditionally, and it's been around 100 years now, John Deere made the first farm magazine because they wanted to sell tractors. A Michelin guide was created so people would drive further and wear out their tires. So going to these different restaurants and things. So we've always had this kind of mix between the two. It just gets more and more difficult when you're a product now in this current landscape to figure out how you're going to get it into people's hands and which way you go and whether it is plain advertising or you throw it at someone that has some credibility to do some testing on it and they come up with something um, that passes the test. So therefore the product is, is worthwhile. So it, the, the landscape is a bit tricky for these companies to figure out where to best start selling and marketing their product, which then can confuse it. It can confuse the issue as to, um, you know, who, who is doing it? How are they doing it? Like what type of tests are they doing? Yeah. And for a company, there's going to be way more value if you are looking at, if you've got a hundred grand there to spend to, you've got your product there, you've got a hundred grand to spend, you're going to allocate more of, if you want to get your bang for your buck, you're going to allocate more of that to marketing than on testing of your product or validation from third parties. If you purely from a business model, you'd be stupid to spend 90 of it on testing and 10 grand on marketing. You're better off going the other way around. And obviously, yeah, for these companies that are in the, the cycling performance world, they have that trade-off there of, okay, how much am I spending on making sure my product is validated and how much am I spending on making sure that I actually have a successful business? And, yeah, there's definitely a continuum there. And, yeah, as as you can see with with some things that I'm sure there's plenty of good products there that 
I've never heard about that have been validated to 20 times and are, are really well developed. And I just haven't seen them because they haven't popped up because mm-hmm. they haven't spent the money on marketing and they just haven't yeah. made it to my eyes yet. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's the conundrum there. Yeah. The other company that I just remember now that was kind of, uh, spurred this this uh, thought was uh, inside they're another company that's a lot of marketing i mean i get an email from them probably every week and uh they're facing some criticism right now from i know mark burnley is kind of questioning the whole idea of vla max uh as a something that can be measured at a uh the a systemic level i guess at a you know, as opposed to it's originally intended as a cellular measure, if I understand it right. So, yeah, um, that was another one that was on the radar, too, with, you know, some of these sports scientists looking at this and just going, hmm, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, you know, they take your data and they run away with it and they come back and they have all this stuff. And uh, from my understanding, it's you can get all that. Just they're getting all of it off of power, which is, again, that's going to be tricky to get. I think there isn't a lot that you can infer or really get out of power data for physiology. Except, and one of the few places that I let for wiggle room there is critical power, and that's just basically a demarcation, um, and not necessarily giving you solid like numbers around lactate levels or anything like that. Right? It's just like this is where this is probably where the separation between these domains is happening. And that's, you know, that's not a super in-depth physiological thing, but it it is arguably physiological, I think. So, um, but yeah, these are, these are things that just like, they came up on their radar and you see a lot of people using them and they're putting money into the sport. um, But then the product is kind of getting come under question and, I think I don't. I think it should be fair to question companies and question their validity and independently test them, and then it's kind of gets into this tricky thing with the companies. Like, what do they do if their product do it? Because is it really in the tool in the toolbox of marketing in the, of the marketing department to try to sell nuance? Um, I don't know. I don't know about enough about marketing, but, um, it is, I, at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, truth, uh, eventually gets there. It just travels slowly. So you can probably think of a lot of, uh, performance products or products in general that, um, came on the market. There was a lot of hype. A lot of people bought it and then it just fell out of favor once people figured out it wasn't all all that, um, maybe a good example of that would be like the was the Vibrams or whatever the and shoeless running and that trend. Um, it probably was the case that the those shoes only worked for some people, and and the people it didn't work for, the, those shoes didn't work for. They got injured and stopped buying the product. And the sales of those shoes have certainly decreased, as we can tell by you don't really see many people wearing them anymore. Could be the same case with a lot of these products. As their sales decline, as they lose money to be able to sponsor teams and athletes, um, 
because maybe they are the the benefits from the product aren't as good as what the marketing says they were um then you would just see a decline over time as the as the literature as sports scientists and people would start finding time to actually test test the products see if the claims are true and then that literature literature would come out and uh, either validate the product's use or you know call it into question but yeah those those are my thoughts and then there are complete cultural mysteries in cycling yeah yeah products like the breathe right yeah yeah, I was thinking yeah. Breathe Right as well. That came into my head of just stuff. Like I still I forget who it was. Someone yeah, was still yeah. wearing one I, in the I tour. Saw. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't believe Nibbly. it. Where's it? Yeah. Oh, but the thing is, is we're still shaving our legs, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but we're honest about why we do who, it. That's... Who here doesn't shave their legs? Yeah. <laughs> that's vanity. <laughs> we know why we do it. So does it really make me that fast? That much faster? I don't know. Looks a lot better. <laughs> Um, but are are you really going to, do you really want to be in the breakaway with the guy that doesn't shave his legs? Huh? I'm not going to work with that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. But I never thought shaving legs was about speed. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be, well, everything, all the reasons that you like, you really think about, you're like, really? Like, um, okay. So if you crash, yeah, it's better because you don't have the hairs. Yeah. Road rash and yeah. massages. But often do you get road rash road rash and massages i mean cyrus would probably get a get those more than anybody but yeah um yeah but also cyclists don't shave the rest of cyclists don't shave their arms for because of road rash and you take skin off your arms more mm -hmm. than anywhere else so yeah that none of the arguments really stand up i i genuinely just don't like the feeling of the wind going through the hair on my legs no no it feels weird yeah in the off season i I don't shave them because I can't be bothered, but I don't like the feeling. Yet you've got a mullet. <laughs> yeah. Like the wind going through that. Yeah. No, but that's good. The mullet. Um, I I want to get them. I want to get the mullet in a wind tunnel. Honestly, I'm convinced that's why I won that TT earlier this year. It's purely the mullet. And the next spoiler. We still gotta get that meme out there with you and uh, Yolandi, Yoland from uh, Diane Word. Ah. Uh. I still don't know this person. Your little, si your little sister. <laughs> your lost at birth sister. Who wore it better? <laughs> yeah, I'm convinced that if you can't wear a teardrop helmet um, or anything with a peak at the back, that mullet disturbing the turbulence is beneficial. That's my hi another hypothesis. I mean, mustaches are just, uh, you know, they break up the air around the lip and it just pushes, pushes the air around the helmet better. Definitely. Scientifically speaking, it's true. That's just saving carbohydrate for later in the race. The mustache. Anyways, um, that, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's all I got for this kind of mini thought. Um, hopefully, I didn't drag it out too long. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there as a as something as a as a talking point for and uh, yeah, not looking to. It's it's a tricky thing for us, right? Like. Um, we definitely don't want to be cynics. Um, and then the, the point of the podcast is trying to dig deeper and find these truth, uh, of what works, what doesn't work, what's in the nuance of how much something works, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, that really puts us a place 
to step on toes and kind of hopefully we will never have legal legal action coming after us. But um, yeah, like I've just mentioned three products here that put a lot of money into the sport. Good for them. I thank I thank them for that. Appreciate it. For yeah. That. Um, yep. But then again, like buyer beware. It's not just these three companies, obviously, uh, or four companies. Uh, but it's 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 every every company. Do your research. If you have something, you know, especially with our members, if you guys have a product that you're looking at, and you're like, I don't. This looks funny. I don't know if this would work. Yeah. You know? Uh, flick us an email or something like that, and maybe we can talk about it on the show. But um, yeah, buyer beware is yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to find more products that do work. That's always what I'm looking for. Well, you know, we talk about things that you know, nutrition supplements and algorithms and apps and uh, maybe aerodynamic devices are the easy things to kind of look at, but like we forget how much bike manufacturers play in that role. Um, like they're, they have to keep changing their product and it's, you know, the arrow, the, the climbing bike was the thing, be light. Now it's arrow. Uh, now the disc brakes, do we, re- did we really need disc brakes? Uh, I, I don't have an answer for that. I'm, I'm sure people are, have strong opinions either way. Um, but again, a lot of that is, how much of it is really a performance game gain in that space and how much is the need to come out with new products. So capitalism works not to knock on capitalism. I love capitalism, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess we could wrap that up. It's just like, uh, just a kind of a talking point, something I've been mulling over something for the listeners to think about. And, uh, yeah. Let us know your thoughts. Did you learn anything new in this episode? Awesome. This is a listener-supported podcast, so we would be stoked if you supported us by becoming a member of the Cycling Performance Club and providing a monthly contribution. With your backing, we can continue our mission to deliver the best in cycling performance knowledge and practical advice to you and the greater cycling community for a better sport. Click the link in the show notes to support us monthly, or if you prefer to make a one-off donation for now, you can buy us a coffee or three, also by clicking the link in the description. Don't forget, Jason, Cyrus, and I offer coaching and consulting services for cyclists and teams. The links to our websites can be found in the show notes. And finally, don't forget, InfoCrank is offering an exclusive 20% discount on InfoCrank Road and InfoCrank Track power meters for our listeners only. See the link in the description and use discount code PERFORMANCE20, PERFORMANCE20 to get your upgrade to the most accurate power meter on the market. And with that, thanks for listening.